I'm reading from uh, Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. If you are using the Pew Bibles in front of you there, it's on page 978. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of God. Good morning. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Josh talked about us being students in the fashion school of Christ. He told us about his yellow Sunday suit, which unfortunately he did not bring for us to see this week. But the image is still haunting many of us. <laughs> I thought, hey, Josh should not be the only one who gets to talk about fashion from this pulpit. So this morning, I want to share with you a personal fashion story. And it all started with this shirt. Let me set the scene. Joni and I had been dating for about a month or two. The two of us were in the mall with her mom and her brother. While we're in this mall, we pass by a Gap store. Joni leads us into the Gap store. I come out of the store with this shirt. The things we do for love. Now, we're back in the mall, and Joni starts to walk ahead of us a little bit. So now it's just me, her mom, and her brother. And that's when this story takes a bit of an unexpected turn. Out of nowhere, Joni's mom looks at me and says, you know, when I first met John, which is Joni's dad, I told my mom I thought he was great, except, brace yourselves, for one thing, how he dressed. <laughs> but my mom told me, don't worry, we can fix that. Ugh, confidence booster, right? Needless to say, my wardrobe underwent a major overhaul over the next year. But here's the thing. Joni's mom had a point. For years, I had avoided buying clothes. I was still wearing jeans and t-shirts that my grandma got me when I was in the 10th grade. I was a young man wearing boy clothes. Now, it's been almost four years since I had this revelation of my lack of style. And thankfully, Joni has been able to fix that. I now only wear adult clothing. <laughs> but back then, right, there was a disconnect. I needed clothes that reflected who I had become, clothes that fit me. I was no longer a child. I was an adult. And that's exactly what is happening in Ephesians 4. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul has told us that the eternal plan and purposes of God, which had been hidden in previous generations, 
have now been realized in Jesus Christ as all things are being united in him, including Jews and Gentiles. Paul goes from the general, all things, to the specific, Jew and Gentile, which is why he needs to write chapters 4 through 6. See, since the days of Abraham, these two groups of people have seen themselves as, well, two groups of people. For them, there is a sharp distinction between being a Jew and being a Gentile. And now, Paul is telling them that in Christ, they are one. One family, one body, one new humanity, the church. This, Paul says, is the manifold wisdom of God on display, uniting all things in Christ. So now when we get to chapters 4 through 6, Paul needs to teach the two, Jew and Gentile, what it looks like to live as the one. He needs to do for them what Joni did for me. Help them put off the old and put on the new. That's the language that he used in last week's passage. Chapter 4, verses 22 and 24. And we need these instructions too. Ethnic differences might not be what's making it hard for you to live as a unified community. That was the challenge for Paul's original audience, but what is your hang-up? Maybe for you it's political differences, or personality differences, or philosophy of ministry differences, or even theological differences. Whatever it is, my guess is that in each of our lives there is at least one person who you are struggling to live in community with. At least one person who challenges your willingness to embrace God's eternal plan for uniting all things in Christ. One person or one group of people who you have a hard time loving like one of your own. I want you to hold that person or that group of people in your mind's eye this morning because Paul is going to teach us how we need to treat them. What we find in chapters 4 through 6 is that the essence of putting on the new self is loving Christ's community. The essence of what it means to put on the new self is loving Christ's community. Why? Because God is glorified when we embrace his eternal plan of uniting all things in Christ by us loving the new community that he has brought together. In verses 25 through 32 of Ephesians 4, the passage that Jody just read, Paul gives us six exhortations, six exhortations. You can think of an exhortation as like instruction for life. And these six exhortations answer the main question that was raised by the passage Josh preached last week, which was this. What does it look like to put off the old self and put on the new self? And the overarching answer that we will find in each of these exhortations is this. Those who put on the new self care about the church's health. Those who put on the new self care 
about the church's health. We bring glory to God by loving the new community he has created in Christ. The majority of these six exhortations are going to follow a specific pattern. First, Paul is going to tell us what it looks like to put off the old self. Second, Paul is going to tell us what it looks like to put on the new self. And then third, Paul is going to give us a motivation for the exhortation. So here's my goal for our time this morning. I want to briefly walk through each of the six exhortations, and then what I'm going to do is summarize each of them in the form of a question. So at the end of the, at the, end of the sermon, we'll have six questions that you can use to diagnose how you're doing when it comes to putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And my hope is that we will all be encouraged to embrace God's eternal plan of uniting all things in Christ by loving all of his people, especially the ones that are hard for you to love. So let's get into the passage by looking at this first exhortation. In verse 25, Paul begins by telling us what it looks like to put off the old self. He says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood. The old self lies. It omits the truth. It exaggerates the truth. It minimizes the truth. And oftentimes it flat out denies the truth. The old self does not care about the truth. The old self cares about one thing, self. The old self lies in order to gain advantages in life or look successful to other people or avoid consequences that might hurt. And as you all know, lying has never made a community stronger. You're never going to find a book or a TED Talk titled, The Ten Ways Lying Will Make Your Team Better. <laughs> Instead, lying ruins the most important ingredient in any healthy relationship, trust. If we lie to one another, we can't trust one another, and trust is essential for healthy relationships. So, if the old self's clothing is a set of lies, then what does the new self wear? Look at uh, verse 25 again. Paul says, Therefore, putting, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Remember, those who put on the new self care about the church's health. They don't omit or exaggerate or minimize or deny the truth. Those who put on the new self tell the truth, even if it means losing an advantage or facing a painful consequence. Now, as I said, Paul has a pattern for most of these exhortations. He's going to tell us how to put off the old self, tell us how to put on the new self, and then give us uh, a motivation. You can see that represented in the table above. So what is the motivation then for this first exhortation. It's found at the end of verse 25. <clears throat> Paul says, For, this is why you should tell the truth, we are members one of another. 
What does he mean, we are members one of another? Well, throughout the letter, Paul's used different metaphors to describe the church, right? He's talked about it as a body, as a family, as a building. And in each of these metaphors, he's picturing us as members of a unified whole, members of one another. And his point in verse 25 is simple. Christ's body, like any body, cannot be healthy if its members lie to one another. Just imagine if your brain or your heart or your lungs started telling lies to the rest of your body. You would be in imminent danger, right? Likewise, if we lie to one another, we are endangering the health of this church. But if we tell the truth, Even if it costs us, we are putting on the new self and caring for the church's health. So like I said at the beginning, I'm going to turn each of these exhortations into a question that you can use to reflect on your own life. So here's the first one. Are you neglecting or protecting the truth? Are you neglecting or protecting the truth? Let's go to the second exhortation. It's found in verse 26. What does it look like to put off the old self? Paul says, be angry and do not sin. This is a direct quotation of Psalm 4.4. I don't think that Paul is commanding us to be angry here, like be angry. I think uh, what he's saying is he assumes that at times we will experience the emotion of anger. The NIV translates this verse as, In your anger, do not sin. But Paul's exhortation for those moments is, do not sin. Now, there are plenty of newer faces in this room. Many of you who I haven't even had the opportunity or privilege of meeting yet. And you're probably still enjoying the honeymoon phase of finding a new church and meeting new people, and you're thinking, gosh, these kind men and women could never make me angry. Oh, don't kill the messenger, but trust me, your time will come. See, if you spend enough time around any group of people, you will have ample opportunity to obey Paul's second exhortation. Who didn't do what they said they would? Who did what you asked them not to? Who showed up late? Who showed up early? Who forgot to mention an important detail? Who remembered how to push all of your buttons? Your time will come. And in that moment, do not sin. Paul expands on this instruction in the next line. Look again at verse 26. He says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Time is a key factor here. Anger is a nasty, fast-spreading weed that if you do not uproot before the day is done will choke out the health of your relationships. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. Rip it up before you go to bed. Never go to bed upset with a brother or sister in Christ including the ones who live in your own home. 
And here's the, the motivation for this exhortation. Look at verse 27. Paul says, And give no opportunity to the devil. It's an interesting phrase. Throughout Ephesians, Paul has acknowledged spiritual forces of darkness. He's already mentioned the prince of the power of the air in chapter 2, and the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places in chapter 3. And in chapter uh, 6, he's going to warn us that we are in a war against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And here in chapter 4, in keeping with his awareness of the spiritual realm, he connects the devil to our anger. Even something as basic and ordinary as the emotion of human anger has cosmic significance in the mind of Paul. Paul is upping the ante. When someone in this church is angry, it's not just some mundane human emotion. It is an opportunity for the devil himself. Friends, if you let anger stay, the devil will play. He loves when a Christian goes to bed angry at a brother or sister in Christ. May we not let Satan divide us. May we not give an opportunity for the devil to slip in here and ruin our relationships. If Christ is in you, if you are part of this body, this family, this building called the church, then in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. Because those who put on the new self care about the church's health. Here's the second question. Are you uprooting anger or letting it linger? Are you uprooting anger or letting it linger? Let's look at the third exhortation. Once again, Paul is going to begin with what it looks like to put off the old self. So look at verse 28. <clears throat> he says, Let the thief no longer steal. Thieves do not care about the well-being of a community. They only care about themselves. But this type of self-centered approach to possessions is totally incompatible with the new self. If it's true that those who put on the new self care about the church's health, then we are not going to grab and take from one another. Putting off the old self means letting go of a self-centered approach to wealth and possessions. And in its place, Paul describes putting on the new self in the rest of the verse. Look at uh, verse 28 again. He says, but rather, instead of stealing, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul will say, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. In 1 Timothy, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Work is important in the kingdom of God. If you or your spouse are working to put food on the table, you are putting on the new self. But there's more. 
There's more to this exhortation than just working to provide for your family. Look at the motivation that Paul gives us at the end of verse 28. He says, you do this, you do the honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. The transformation from old self to new self is one from greedy taker to generous giver. From stealing to sharing. Some of you know that uh, I lived in West Africa for a year, and in the area that I lived, there was a zero-tolerance policy for stealing. Thieves who were caught in the act knew their fate. They would either have their fingers or their hands chopped off. And this was to make a public example of bad behavior. So I would see men and women walking around all the time with nubs for hands. Uh, I do not see any nubs for hands in this room as a result of stealing, but perhaps some of us still operate with the heart of a thief. We want to receive, not give. We want to grow our bank accounts in our assets column, not help others in need. We work hard for our money. We don't want to give it away. We want to amass wealth, not share it. But those who put on the new self care about the church's health, right? They become aware of the needs around them, and they use all of their resources that God has given them to bless one another. I remember uh, a story that Jody Young shared last year uh, in a family meeting. Sorry for calling you out, Jody. But it was a beautiful story of generosity and has stuck with me. The Youngs were having some uh, car problems, if I remember right, and Jody had mentioned this to her table at Women's Bible Study, and I think before you even got home, you were receiving texts of people offering not only to loan her a car, but give her a car. Yeah. Friends, that is the new self on full display. I praise God that I go to a church where people are generous like that, looking out for the needs of other, others. Let's do more of that in big ways, like giving away cars, and in small ways, like babysitting someone's kids for free so that they can spend time together. Become more sensitive to the needs around you, big and small, and share your money and your time and your energy to bless one another. Let's put on the new self more and more. Here's the third question. Are you taking greedily or giving generously? Are you taking greedily or giving generously? Okay, exhortation number four. Once again, Paul tells us what it looks like to put off the old self. Look at verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. We saw earlier that the old self is a liar. That's not the only thing that the old self does with his mouth. In addition, the old self speaks corrupting words, words that corrupt, words that hurt others. What then does it look like to put on the new self? Look at verse 29 again. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. And then he gives us the motivation that it, the words, 
may give grace to those who hear. Do you see the contrast? One set of words tears down, divides, destroys. The other set of words builds up, encourages, edifies. Have you ever had someone come up to you and encourage you out of the blue? Maybe they noticed something about the way you treated your kids or your spouse and they wanted to come and commend you for that. Maybe they were helped by something that you shared in community group or some other gathering and they wanted to let you know how you impacted them. Or maybe they saw a good trait or spiritual gift on display in your life and they wanted to point it out to you. Or maybe they just said, can I pray for you? After you told them about your difficult week. I have heard all of these encouragements in this very room since I started coming here almost three years ago. Brothers and sisters, those encouraging words, as small as they might feel when you say them, are massive. They are no small thing. Paul is saying that your words can be used by God to make deposits of grace into the lives of one another. Give grace to those who hear. Think of the spiritual interest this church would reap if we made that kind of investment every week. God has not only saved you by his grace, Ephesians 2, he has also made you a channel of his grace, Ephesians 4. Grace doesn't just come to us, it goes through us, through our words, into the community as we encourage one another. Those who put on new self care about the church's health, how? By turning their words into deposits of grace. So here's the question for this exhortation. Are your words tearing down or building up? Are your words tearing down or building up? We have two more exhortations left, so hang with me. Let's look at number five. In verse 30, Paul tells us what it looks like to put off the old self. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Once again, just as he did in verse 27, Paul is pulling us up into the realm of cosmic significance. Just as we don't want to give the devil opportunity with our anger, so also we don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. What does this mean? Of all the verses in this passage, just what, this might be the most confusing to some of us. It's not very straightforward. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We had a really good discussion about this in our community group on Tuesday, and uh, Frank and Sue pointed out uh, that there's two passages in the Old Testament that echo this idea of God being grieved. The first was in Genesis 6, just before Noah and the flood. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually, and it grieved him to his heart. The other passage was in Isaiah 63, where the prophet is recounting God's steadfast love for Israel, and then reminds us of the nation's failings. When he says, but 
they rebelled and grieved God's Holy Spirit. See, God is not some aloof, stoic, uninterested, unengaged deity. He is a covenant God. He cares how his people treat one another. His heart is grieved when his people rebel. To simplify it, think of it like this. God is sad when we sin. God is sad when we sin. The old self grieves the heart of God by rebelling. The new self gladdens the heart of God by obeying. And think about this exhortation in light of what we're seeing about the new self. What's the connection between caring about the church's health and not grieving the Holy Spirit of God? I think the connection is this. It hurts God when we hurt one another. It hurts the heart of God when we hurt one another. Paul is calling us to be mindful of how our human interactions with one another impact the heart of God. I don't think he wants us to imagine God as some distant, disappointed father frowning at us for failing once again. I don't think that's the image the Bible gives us. But Paul does want us to see that just as it grieves a parent when siblings fight, so it grieves the heart of God when his children fight. Verse 30 ends the exhortation like this. By whom, referring to the Holy Spirit, you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you remember, Paul already mentioned this back in chapter 1, this sealing work of the Spirit. And I'm not really sure why he includes it here again. Um, I would love to talk to you about it afterwards if you have any ideas. But perhaps it's the motivation for the exhortation. Do not grieve the Spirit because he is the one who has sealed you for the day of redemption. And I believe the inverse then is this. If God is grieved by our rebellion, he is gladdened by our obedience. So here's the question. Are you grieving or gladdening the Spirit of God? Are you grieving or gladdening the Spirit of God this morning? Okay, exhortation Number six, last one. If you've tuned me out for this whole time, come back. We got one more. We've made it to the end. Once again, Paul begins with what it looks like to put off the old self. Look at verse 31. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I think it's really interesting that four of these six exhortations revolve around two things, anger and the tongue. Anger and the tongues. That sound familiar? If you remember a few months back when we went through the book of James, those two topics were very prominent in the letter, in the book of James. Anger and words. Anger and the tongue. And in James 4, James says this about anger. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions 
are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James goes ahead and dusts off the battlefield and looks for the root of all skirmishes. And what he finds is this, unmet, selfish desires. And if you remember from last week, earlier in chapter 4, Paul says this about the old self. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. Friends, the reason that you're bitter or angry or slandering someone in this church is because you didn't get what you wanted. Paul, in verse 31, is tracking the progression of your unmet desire from a simmering bitterness to a boiling explosion of slander and malice. How many churches have you seen splintered and separated because someone let their bitterness go unchecked? until it blossomed into an ugly, angry weed that choked out the life of the community. Too many. If you let anger stay, the devil will play. He loves a Christian who goes to bed angry at a brother or sister in Christ. Time and time again, he has used somebody's unchecked bitterness to slide into the church, burn down the good community. The biggest threat to our community's health is not out there. It's not some political agenda. It's not our debates about COVID. It's none of that. The biggest threat to our community is right here. Unmet desires that become unchecked bitterness that boils over into broken relationships. You and I getting upset with one another over unmet desires, even petty ones, those are the worst ones, even the petty ones, and letting that anger simmer until it becomes slander, until slander ends in severed relationships, is just what the devil wants. Paul's saying, don't do it. So what's the alternative? What does it look like, then, to put on the new self when we have unmet desires? Look at verse 32. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted forgiving one another. Kindness, tenderness, forgiveness. Is someone in this room rubbing you the wrong way? Be kind to them. Is someone in this room frustrating you to no end? Be tender to them. Has someone in this room failed you? Forgive them. Kindness, Tenderness, forgiveness. This is what it looks like to care about the church's health. What is the motivation? Paul closes this exhortation once again with a final motivation. He says, 
as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Have you felt convicted at all this morning? Have you felt guilt over your shortcomings or your sins? Does this list of six exhortations feel burdensome to you and heavy and disheartening, like a list of things that, oh my goodness, I'm going to fall short again and again and again? Good. Then look to Jesus. It's in him that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus is the living embodiment of these six exhortations. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have lived. And he was resurrected so that we might be forgiven. This is the good news. God in Christ forgives sinners. But according to Paul, that doesn't mean we remain in the old self. Our forgiveness in Christ does not excuse us from these exhortations. And that's simply because we do not put on the new self for forgiveness, to somehow earn God's favor. We put on the new self from forgiveness. We don't put on the new self to earn God's grace. We put on the new self to enjoy God's grace. It's a gift. It's an invitation. It's a privilege to experience life and human relationships empowered by God's Spirit and guided by His good design. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you can put on the new self because you are forgiven. If you're not trusting in him, please talk to me or one of the pastors. We'd love to explain what that means to you. Trinity, we put on the new self because we've been forgiven. We speak the truth because we've been forgiven. We give no opportunity to the devil because we've been forgiven. We give grace to our hearers because we've been forgiven. We gladden God's spirit because we've been forgiven, and we are kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another because we've been forgiven. This is the good news. So here's our final question. Are you fighting or forgiving as you've been forgiven? As we come to a close, let's review the six questions that we've asked this morning. Are you neglecting or protecting the truth? Are you uprooting anger or letting it linger? Are you taking greedily or giving generously? Are your words tearing down or building up? Are you grieving or gladdening the Spirit of God? And lastly, are you fighting or forgiving as you've been forgiven? God's eternal plan is to unite all things in Christ, and we bring glory to him when we love the new community that he has brought together. So how are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to putting off the old self and putting on the new self? I think what has struck me the most about meditating on this passage is the degree to which God cares about the seemingly small things. He cares about how you and I interact on a day-to-day -day basis in the normal rhythm of life how we talk to one another, 
how we take care of one another, how we resolve conflict with one another. In the eyes of God, these are not small things. So how are you doing? Where do you need to put off the old self this morning and put on the new self? Call to mind the face of that person or group of people who you thought of at the beginning of this sermon. I have someone in mind. The ones that you've been struggling to love recently. God cares about the way you treat them. May he strengthen us by his spirit to love one another. Before I pray, consider this. When I bought this shirt, it was just one shirt. I was able to replace one old shirt and bring out one new shirt. But it took time, years, to fully purge my wardrobe and fill my closet with clothes that fit. Brothers and sisters, this morning, lean into the one exhortation that convicted you. The one exhortation where you know you need to put off the old self and put on the new self right now. And with time, and by God's grace, we will begin to fill our closets with clothes that fit so that we will be a people, Trinity, who enter every single day putting on the new self and caring about the church's health. Lord Jesus, May it be so among us. Amen.